0: For a couple of decades, my friends Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage have led the Motley Fool's Culture and People team, and eight times previously on this podcast, about once a year, they've joined me to share out our best ideas about how to make your workplace more successful, more fun, more foolish. Hoping, of course, always to hear back from you as well, some further ways in which we might improve ours. You see, the sharing works both ways. That's what mailbag's for. I feel like the last couple of years of this series have focused, understandably, on the pandemic, best practices for how to work virtually, back to the most desperate times of 2020, and then last year talking about the new normal. In fact, that's what we called volume eight, which we recorded last May 2021, the new normal. Have you settled into anything like normal these days, dear fool? hybrid for some, still virtual for others, back to the office too full time for some. But apart from guessing at or evolving into or living through what work looks like through the end of the pandemic, I I thought it was time to get past that a bit. You know, return this series, if you will, to its own normal. So yep, it's time to have back our dynamic duo Kara and Lee To join me this week to give what amounts to simply our best new thoughts and new practices here in 2022. Think about it. What great thing could you be doing or trying at your office as a result of what you hear this week only on Rule Breaker Investing?
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co founder David Gardner.
0: Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing, which spends about, yeah, I'd hope at least one third of its time on investing and one third on life. And the other third is on business. And certainly something that's always meant so much, not just to me or my brother Tom, but so many fools. And I don't just mean our employees. I mean so many investing fools, so many of us do look at the businesses themselves, whether they're ones we're working at, trying to make better day-to-day culture happen, which really helps results, or if you're looking at somebody else's business, thinking about investing in that business, culture, corporate culture, workplace culture, these things are deep and rich terms. This is rich soil that we have planted often. And we've watched some of our plants grow up into beautiful things that we like to share out on this series. And then other things we occasionally plan and they don't work out so well. We still will feature some of our gaffes like I do with bad stock picks. But my friends, Kara and Lee, I don't know whether they'll have anything that they want to share that didn't work in the last year this week. But really, as I mentioned at the top, we're focused on what we're thinking about and trying here in 2022, somewhat apart from pandemic tinge, somewhat standing on its own. What's going to work five years from now as a new idea or a new practice in your culture that would have worked five years ago? I haven't asked them to angle it all the way that way, but I think that's mostly how this will sound and feel this week. And before I welcome on Kara and Lee, I want to mention that, of course, the mailbag at the end of every month for this podcast is an excellent opportunity for you, I would say, not just to hear your reactions to what you're about to hear us present. This week, But we'd also really love tips, pointers, awesome practices that you have seen in your workplaces. So much of what we've done at The Fool in lots of different ways, we've learned from our members and tried based on your great insights and thoughts. So please know that the mailbag awaits your great thoughts at the end of this month. But without further ado, let me welcome back Kara Chambers and Lee Burbage. Kara and Lee, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Now, Lee, I see you clearly working from home as I am. It looks like you're, I mean, your room is a lot more attractive, I think, for the (laughs) Zoom camera than mine. I've got a mess behind me. But Kara, you are not where I'm used to seeing you these last couple of episodes we've done together. Where are you today? It's kind of a spare wall behind you.
1: Yes, I am in a conference room at the Alexandria office of The Motley Fool. Uh, amazing see you my friends
0: (laughs) that's great and you've got uh it's clearly not a sound studio i mean uh like lee and me we're all kind of still muddling through with a headset wherever we are we're not in official studios but kara it's just delightful to think and know that you're back to what's been the original full hq
1: yeah, it's uh I did like the old school conference room hunt, look for a place to plug in my computer. Some were really cold, <laughs> some were too noisy, right? And it's like, okay, I am learning again. I see some faces in here. Um, just for the audience out there, it's it's we're slowly testing our way into the logistics after having no one in here for two years. So um, if I couldn't find a plug or whatever, it probably would have been true. But our our support teams are incredible here. So I was glad well, that's everything's wonderful. working perfectly.
0: And Lee, it was June first, I think, that we opened it up, so it was last week for employees in our Colorado offices, our Alexandria offices to if they want not not just anybody who wants to, because we're doing it piecemeal. And I know it it's it's in particular Lee people who've raised their hand and said, I really would love to be back in an office for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, we were calling this our soft launch and Partly because I always wanted to be part of a soft launch. I always feel like that's so cool. (laughs) I want to go to a restaurant and be there for the soft launch because you're like friends with the owner or something. So we gave it a fun name. But really, like Kara said, it's been two years since we've been in there. So we just needed to see what was broken, what was working. And uh, we're sort of easing people back in. So I think by the end of the month, we'll be opening up to any fool that wants to come into an office with some regularity. Uh, they, mm. they should be able to. So we'll see. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun adventure.
0: Kara, did I hear you mention that you bumped into Chris Hill as you got your headset and came back to this Just random conference? Just the door room?
1: right there. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Lots of friends of this show or I've been rolling through.
0: Well, thanks a lot. And you too have been wonderful friends of this show. This is the ninth in our episodic series, Company Culture Tips, uh, the ninth, And I've already, I think I've talked enough about what we're going to do this week. So without further ado, I think we should just get right into it. So per normal, each of you have thought about what are some of the workplace practices, things we're trying out, insights that we have that we can share out. And it's a list of 10 every time and you tend to bounce it back and forth. So let me start by asking who's up first this go round. Lee. That's
2: me, Mr. Gardner. I will be going first.
0: All right. Company culture tip, Lee, number one.
2: So for this uh, list, Kara and I have gone with the theme of sort of progress and growth. And I love this first tip because it's the way what I'll call a lot of traditional companies would mark progress and growth. And that's with job titles. And we are a company mm-hmm. that is traditionally Uh, not filled with job titles. It's not something that we talk about or place a lot of value on um, in our company. But what we've seen in recent years is we've been growing. And so it's been getting a little bit harder to know who to contact and who does what. And we recognize that, um, that with the passage of time, people do want to be able to mark down sort of what it is they're doing. So we rolled out a new concept, something that we call My Role. And my role I think is pretty fun, pretty foolish. It is a 60 character limit. And so you can write whatever you want uh, with a maximum of 60 characters that says, what is your role here at The Motley Fool? And so people have been having fun trying to fit into that window. uh, Exactly what do you do here? And it's great. It's easy for us to be able to communicate with one another where we're focused, uh, to be able to find people and know who does what and who to ask questions of. And my role uh, came from an idea that uh, Kara had, which was we have a Slack channel called Witch Fool. And people would go into that Slack channel and they would ask, which fool does this? Which fool does that? And so we find my role is the answer to that question. So we're pretty excited about not going to a traditional title structure such as I'm an assistant vice president. Now I'm a vice president, which is I find largely meaningless and more what it is that you do here
0: and that's fun for me to think about mine's still going to be chief rule breaker which i think fits in 60 characters but i do know one of the criticisms that we got sometimes from external partners or people that we're meeting with back in the day lee because we were kind of the anti-job title company so we i'm making this up but we'd have like chief cow wrangler and uh and people would come and meet with us and go Now, I'm sorry, you're Chief Coward, but what what do you actually do here? (laughs) Like, uh, often, ostensibly, job titles are for the person, him or herself, to be able to say, I am the assistant vice president to the treasurer. But a lot of the purpose of a job title is for others to know who the heck you are and what you're doing. Sounds like that's the spirit of this, Lee. Where do the 60 characters reside? Like, how do we use that or do that? Is it, am, am I Googling you or is, is it on Slack? Uh, it, it, and forget about the Motley Fool here. I'm thinking about everybody listening to us. How do you make best use of somebody's role like that?
2: So, right now, my role is purely internal. So, we have it on our intranet that. Uh, people can search through our HRIS system. And so it's more about functioning around internally. I I will say in in doing something like that, what Karen and I love to do is exactly what you said, which is what's the intent of this and can we do it a better way? And so we did try to think about what is the intent of a job title? And I, I would, I would say that, uh, job title structure in the world today isn't largely helpful because vice president one company can mean something very <laughs> different somewhere else. So when we backed off to the intent, it wasn't that we were against job titles in general. We just felt like the current world structure doesn't work very well. So what could? And we toyed around with it a little bit and and landed on this 60 character limit of uh, just sort of describing where you're focused and what you're excited about.
0: In your notes prior to this podcast where you shared with me some of the points we'll be talking about either of you included the phrase a robot made your job title <laughs> could you please explain that before we move on to number two sure so uh,
2: we wanted to encourage people to fill out their my Role. <laughs> um, if if you've listened to us on prior podcasts, uh, I'd never like to make anything mandatory. I like to make it compelling, mm. and so Kara and uh, Tom Connor, who works with her, had the great idea of, well, what would be compelling is if we filled your my role out for you, and we did it badly, and so. We had, uh, we, you know, you see these things on Google where a robot will rewrite a song or things like that. So um, Tom Connor wrote uh, a little script that would write your My Role for you. And our wow. hope was people would read that and be like, well, that's wrong. I want to fix it. <laughs> so that was our way of making it compelling
0: and not mandatory. Excellent. That's a little of the secret sauce for tip number one. OK, thank you for that, Lee. Carol, let's go to company culture tip number two.
1: All right. Company culture tip number two is the nonlinear career path, which has always been true at the full. And we thought progress is a good topic today because the world of work is changing. Um, and we are currently working on a, building a tool internally called Journey, which will help people kind of see each other's resumes, so to speak, and watch for it, the experience they have, the skills they want to learn. Just building those connections. Um, we've been working with a third party on building it out, but it gives you a little quiz about what you want to learn in your career. It will tag you and others and what your expertise are and what skills you can teach and what skills mm. you want to learn. Uh, it's been a fun project. Um, but we initially, when we took it on two years ago, we said, for, we started with well, how the heck are we going to do that? We don't have job titles. <laughs> um, but uh, our our partners called Flow of Work, they were able to kind of do some AI building of people's LinkedIn profiles and and um, departments and roles. And they, they use some science to kind of start building this out. And we're still in the stage of machine learning.
0: And so the purpose of this, Kara, is to enable people to ultimately learn from others in terms of what their career path looked like at the fool and therefore what mine might look like. With the I guess the the implication is that some people who've been around for a while might have really interesting career paths or a traditional surprising. And so getting to hear some of those stories and connect with it, turns out that could be you too. Is that it?
1: Yes. And um, they started it with a bunch of interviews with our more senior people who have the most interesting career paths of, of who's done what. Um, to start feeding it and show some examples. And and we learned a lot about where people came from and how they started here or there. I think it's funny. Lee and I probably have the most traditional career paths of anyone uh, here at The Fool. We've seen our, so we always talk about this and we're like, well, everyone else seems to have a non-linear career path, except for us too. Um, And, uh, but there's probably some quirkiness in there and some job crafting, which we're going to get to. Uh, But yeah, typically at The Fool, you see people Um, This goes back to my recruiting days. I used to ask people, like, where did you, how did you get here? Right? And almost everyone would tell you an interesting story, an interesting narrative um, of how they started. So we're just in the process of collecting those.
0: I think part of the reason this feels relevant for us, and I and I hope for others listening to us, but I never know how crazy we appear to other businesses and other entrepreneurs listening to us worldwide right now. But I, I I'm thinking in part if you if you've been a startup uh, in the last five to thirty years, uh, you've you've had the internet, you've had lots of new approaches to work, and then gee whiz, a, a pandemic came too. So the so what. What is a normal career path probably has changed, but most of all, for smaller organizations, it seems to me, it seems less likely that there are very rigid, traditional career paths. Kara, I'm assuming the larger the company is, the more you need some structured career pathing. Is that
1: is that fair? I think that's how you scale. And one of the reasons we're building this tool is it used to happen very informally um, because we were very small and you just kind of slowly started collecting things. And we'll talk about that more, collecting projects and starting to just take on things informally. But we found with people being more distributed, us getting bigger, um, those opportunities just weren't happening happening as equitably as we would want. Or mm. So because of that informality, we realized we're getting bigger, but we didn't want to create a formal career path. Uh, instead, we wanted to you know, capitalize on this kind of nonlinear project-based career path. Mm.
0: Thank you, Kara. I'm going to turn to Lee for company culture tip number three. Lee, before you present that, a lot of people listening may not know how many employees we have today. And they're trying to think about their own organization. And I think size matters here in terms of what you can do, what's practicable at six versus 60 versus where are we today?
2: 625.
0: Okay. And then there are some listening to us with 6,250 or 63,000 employees. So pick your poison and try to take away from this week, whatever makes most sense for your organization. Lee, what is company culture tip number three?
2: So I love this one because it's not something necessarily unique to The Motley Fool, but something I think probably at least a lot of HR professionals know. But it's one of those things that gosh, it's so easy to forget. And then I'm reminded, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. That is true. And this is that um, some years ago, we set up an internal university with some great advice from uh, our board member at the time, Steve Kerr. And what we found is is what you read, which is that the teachers in our internal university actually got more out of it than even the students. And there's (laughs) There's something about stepping into that role that gets you to focus your thoughts, organize your thinking, have to put things together. And we found out of uh, the surveys following that university, the teachers, some of them were saying, this is the favorite part of my job. And so we had created this sort of sideline work that people were doing in addition to their daily role that had actually become their favorite thing. And today we see that we have a vibrant coaching program, which we've talked about on this show before. We have about 10% of uh, fools today act as a coach to other fools. So that's um, 60 plus people. And we have heard from some of them, being a coach is one of the favorite parts of their job. Mm. And so when you think about progress and growth in a career, you're your mind tends to sort of stay boxed into, what is my current role? What am I doing? But there's so many other opportunities to get involved at companies that can become a very rich part of your progress and growth. So um, we really try to encourage uh, side projects, again, taking on a teaching role, taking on a coaching role, being a leader in one of our ERGs, that sort of thing. So sort of there are opportunities for growth and progress beyond your day-to-day work.
0: Ah, uh, you just rocked an acronym. Typically on this podcast, Lee, if you don't have your knuckles wrapped for introducing an acronym without mentioning it, uh, <laughs> the host will at least say something like, "Lee, could you just remind us what an ERG is?" For a lot of us,
2: oh yes, an ERG is an employee resource group, <laughs> and they are new uh, to the fairly new to the Motley Fool. We we hired in, uh, during the pandep- pandemic a new um, chief diversity officer, and Rachel Williams. She's an amazing person, and she's helped us launch. Um, really affinity groups inside the fool. So um, uh, people that can get together and have a voice. And that's a powerful thing, especially at a company of 625. You don't want to be the one person sort of advocating for blonde people, right? And, and then everyone knows, oh, that was Kara. Kara, right? It's, it, you can have power in, in getting groups together. So yes, employee resource groups of which are fairly new to the Motley Fool, but, but we're already seeing it's just going to be awesome.
0: Thank you, Lee. And you know, coaching and teaching, uh, we had Pixar University. We had the head of Pixar University. Yep, Pixar had an internal university back in the day, probably Mm -hmm. still does. Gave us some great advice back then. It strikes me that not every organization necessarily has the resources or the time to build something like an internal learning program. Now, I think you both would say as much as you can, you should. But even if you can't offer a more formal, opportunity to teach it seems lee as if anybody could actually raise their hand and say i'd like to coach i'd like to coach young employees new employees i'd like to coach female employees whatever it is and so i'm always trying to make sure that we can offer something anyone can use so even if you don't have the resources for a internal university lee you can be a coach and i just learned from you that the coaches that's like their favorite thing about their job at the Fool some of them yes and and actually
2: i say university that sounds complicated we've had incredible fun and incredible effectiveness going out to fools and saying hey is anybody really good at something and would be interested in teaching others and all it takes is for them to set up a zoom call and we've had everything from dj class to butchering class uh, how to make drinks how to sew so um, tapping into your employees and skills they may already have, that they'd be excited to teach others, uh, especially in the virtual world. That makes for a a great class and creates an opportunity, again, for them to, to progress and grow and meet new people.
0: That's wonderful. Well, you both have done such a great job of emphasizing bringing your whole self to work, whoever you are at whatever company, at least at our company. I can see that people are getting to bring their hobbies, things they love, get to share around with their fellow employees, and maybe Kara, maybe that will start to become some of the 60-word job titles people (laughs) include, what they do as a coach and teacher as well. Let's move on to company culture tip number four, Kara Chambers.
1: I'm going to build on what Lee was just talking about, our coaching program. And the reason we picked kind of growth and progress as our topic is we're very focused on that right now, which I'll explain why, but um, we've just spent time with our coaches helping them coach, right? Your coach, I like to say it's kind of functions as a guidance counselor. So a lot of fools move around in this nonlinear career path. They have a different manager every year. They, they have not built that rapport yet. They, they may have come from a culture where you wouldn't talk directly about it. A lot of people hang out and wait to be asked by their boss what they want to do next in the next five years. Um, a coach is there to kind of help you unravel that and unpack that. What And so I remember we had an all hands a couple months ago and I heard somebody say, well, if you ask 600 people what growth looks like for them, you're going to get 600 different answers. Huh. And so we want, those, we want those 600 different answers. Um, and so it isn't to be vice president of this, right? That wouldn't happen here. But what does that really mean? Does that mean I spend a lot of time talking about what decisions do you want to be making, right, um, When with my coaches. And also coaching is one of my favorite parts of my job. Um, and so the coaches are there to help you. We try to teach them to ask really good questions when someone says, I'm looking for more growth in my career. What does that really look like? How does that sound? Um, and, and we can have these interesting conversations about it. And, and getting coaches to really get people to pause and think. Um, I remember when we were looking at researching this journey project. We remember um, we heard people only see their boss's job and the job they didn't get. That's the only two ah. opportunities they can see, right? And it does like there's only two, <laughs> and so and <laughs> it's one. so really there's there's hundreds, there's probably thousands, and <clears throat> at the pool there are ones you can make up and create yourself. So tip number four is be coachable uh, as. Lee just mentioned being a coach can feel really rewarding and feel like progress, a coach or a teacher. Um, But being coached is really helpful for your progress because it helps you navigate the career path, the nonlinear path of the fool. We have a coaching program, as Lee mentioned, um, and we find a lot of fools get a lot of value about around the conversations they have with their coach. Thank you for that. You know, it strikes me, Kara,
0: that a lot of us as kids, starting sometimes with, I don't know, micro league soccer, we, we, we know coaches as sports figures. Uh, And then people in the executive ranks today, this is a fairly important business today, executive coaching. You hear that a lot. Between those, though, there's all the rest of us. And we're not micro league soccer kids anymore. We might also not be a CEO. But wow, yeah, coaching is very vital. And I think it's a growing industry and I'm glad that you're highlighting that, and the importance of that, not just to the coach, number three, but to the coach E, of course, number four. Lee, take us forward. Company culture tip number five.
2: Number five is job for life mindset. And what I mean by this is, again, in a traditional world and workforce, I think LinkedIn feeds into this. You go into a job thinking about building your resume, adding to your LinkedIn profile, climbing Ooh. that corporate ladder. When uh, people start at the Motley Fool, I meet with them on the very first day. I meet with all new fools uh, on their first day as part of orientation. And I tell them, our hope is that this is the last job you'll ever have. And so we have that out, that uh, mindset for employees. Sometimes it takes people a little time to get used to it, but once you embrace the idea that you'll work at the Motley Fool for the rest of your life and you stop worrying about adding things to your resume or updating your LinkedIn profile, then you really start to just think about what's the work I want to be doing? what's the impact I want to be making? And so you're you're less concerned about progress in terms of job titles and career ladders and more concerned about progress and growth as a person and the impact you're making uh, on our company and for our members.
0: Lee, we're always trying to make this series as relevant, seeming as applicable, as practicable for any employee who's listening or any employer who's listening. I guess a little pushback I have on this one for you is, how many other companies in your experience say something like that to first day employees and or really have that as part of their culture? And if if we're kind of rare in that field, how am I to learn from that if I'm not working at a company that has Lee Burbage say that to me the day that I start?
2: Uh, let me boldly say, David, that I, th- I think we are unique, but I think we're right. And uh, I'll sum it up by think about how much time and energy and effort companies put into finding, recruiting, and hiring incredible talent. And so if you can keep that talent for a long period of time, maybe their entire career, I think that investment really pays off. Uh, When you have high turnover, then you're constantly having to rinse and repeat Mm. and spend money and energy in recruiting, hiring, training up, and then having to do that again. I prefer to take that same budget for recruiting and invest it in the people that are already here to keep them and retain them. So it does take some work and focus on a company side to keep people, right? That that's important, but that's that's something that Kara and our team's focus on is trying to keep people here and keep our turnover very low. So I do think we're unique, but it's it's pretty awesome.
0: And I love to see it as an investor looking at companies. Not every company reports its employee churn. And some industries are just naturally going to have more or less churn than others. But who are the best employers? Where are the companies that people love, not just to work, but to stay because they love to work there? That does seem like such an advantage across a number of dynamics. Thank you for sharing number five, Job for Life Mindset. Lee, let's move on to company culture tip number six. Kara.
1: Uh, culture tip number six is find your own metrics. And this is where we get a little meta. Our big metric on our team is our engagement survey. Um, and, the, and we use a tool called CultureAmp, which generates kind of a, an algorithm that tells us what's most important to fools and their happiness right now. And what's most important to Fools in Their Happiness right now is making progress in their career. So, Lee and I are knee-deep in this kind of understanding this is why we were ready for this. Ah, so hence the progress and
0: growth theme yeah. to this particular podcast. Got it.
1: Yes, and it's gotten us to explore this a lot more. As we said, the Fool has grown. We've been remote, but I see every article I read about the future of work and the changing workforce. This is a challenge around the world. Um, but- in a meta way, again, it's not progress can mean different things to different people, but it also means kind of making progress day to day and knowing what you're going after having goals. And so for us, we love having these metrics that we can track and, and, and prioritize and kind of move towards. Um, and so wherever you are in your job, if you are feeling stuck or lacking progress, I think it's just helpful to go identify what your your version of the engagement survey is right, but for us, we know what it is. It's pretty standard, um, but we know we always have a measuring stick uh, that we drive ourselves, and I, I think that that can make for really satisfying work—is to kind of make progress every day. We talk about like progress is in like um, years-long career progress, but it's also day to day, like better this week than I was last week, um, and so. Uh, that's where I talk about finding your own metrics. If no one's giving them to you, um, it's fun to go out and find your own and track yourself.
0: Classic business line. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So the more that somebody, whether we're talking again about the employer uh, and you, you shared how important our engagement survey twice a year is for us at The Fool, but also as an employee. Maybe maybe the metric that you're performing to is very self-evident. Maybe it's a sales metric of some kind. But the more that you could make it your own in a meta-like way, the more you could – this is too meta, and I don't think anybody should do this, but you know, the number of times you smiled today at work, uh, if you can actually be that self-conscious, note that, and then see if if you could do it once more tomorrow. And it's not just about fake smiling. It's about giving yourself reason to smile. Again, this is not a metric anybody should adopt, but the point is – Making your own metric that makes sense for you and helps you make progress above and beyond whatever the company might be asking of you. I think that's next level. All right, down the stretch we come seven, eight, nine, and 10. Let's go to company culture tip number seven, Lee Burbage.
2: Number seven is encourage side of desk projects. And so this is a fun one. This is another thing that I will say to people during orientation or, or early on in their career at The Fool is that we've noticed it takes, and this is broad strokes, around six months to sort of figure out your job. And so what we've noticed is within six months, you're starting to figure out your job and sort of be like, okay, I got this. And you start to create a little bandwidth because of that. And so I encourage people to pay attention to what it is they want to do with their bandwidth, because what happens here in our culture is you can get involved in other projects around the company, other people's jobs. Everybody loves help and Hmm. you can get involved with someone else's project. And then what happens is over time, that extra little bandwidth can get bigger and bigger, and it can become an area that you then want to pivot to as more full-time work. It's something that's piqued your interest or vice versa. Maybe you get involved in it and you're like, well, that's not interesting, right? And so it gives you a, a side of desk projects are a way to sort of test out other things that might interest you and to prove yourself to other departments. So I tell people, hey then if that's an area that you're interested in and a role opens up there wouldn't it be fun if you were the automatic choice because you've already been working in that zone and sort of proving yourself out so I'm, i'm i highly encourage people to get involved in that way. And we're lucky that we have a company culture that encourages it. We have a Fool here who's one of our lawyers named Harry. And I was talking to him about his, I check in with New Fools after about six months and I was asking him, how's it going? And he said, well, there's there's one thing that's sort of interesting here that sort of freaks me out. And I'm like, wow, Harry, what is that? And he's like, <laughs> when I walk up to people and talk to them, at their desk, they're really happy to talk to me and engage with me and answer any question. And I was like, Harry, why is that weird? He's like, you don't understand because you've worked here so long, Lee that at a lot of companies, you can't just walk up and talk to people and get involved in their work. They're defensive about that. So he just sort of was uh, weirded out at first and then just loves how easy it is in our culture to go talk to other people, find out about their work, ask them questions, and then actually get involved in one of their projects that could someday become part of your real career.
0: Love that example, Lee. Thank you for that. And, you know, I'm sort of a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps person that's a strength and a weakness so when i first heard you give this tip i was thinking you know what side of desk project do i need to start or lead or do but really a big part of the spirit is asking others what theirs is and saying i'd love to help or how could i help and uh i guess the very nature of the phrase side of desk means it's not really official like i assume Kara or Lee, is there an official list of side of desk desk projects at our company that I could see and sign up for. And I'm not necessarily suggesting we should do that because then maybe it's not side of desk anymore, but that's interesting.
2: Well, it's interesting that you asked that, David, and (laughs) Kara has envisioned this already. It doesn't exist yet. So we didn't put it on the list, but we're building it. It's called the uh, Opportunity Marketplace, and it's going to be part of the journey tool that Kara and her team are building. Hmm. And so we don't have it yet. So I can't really talk about how amazing it is because it doesn't exist. But our hope is that uh, it will be something that People can put side-of-desk projects out there. We have a, a, a belief that everybody has, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 things on their to-do list. And let's say you can only ever get to like 10 there's somebody out there that wants to do 11 and 12 for you. You want it to get done, and that would be amazing and enriching for them, and they'd enjoy it. So trying to figure out how to match people with things that are real, that do need to get done, that are on to-do list, but you just haven't quite gotten to, that someone else does have time for and would love to do, that, that's sort of a dream that that we've had. Uh, for. And We've tried a few tools through the year, but we haven't quite cracked the code.
0: All right. Company culture tip number eight. Kara.
1: Number eight is check-in often. Frequency matters. Um, I think I talked a little bit about shorter-term day-to-day progress. And the example I'll use is at The Fool, we do our compensation reviews quarterly. And I say this in onboarding because everybody thinks that's bonkers. But what we've learned over the years is it's it's made it easier because it's more familiar. So it doesn't mean everybody gets a raise every quarter, uh, but it just means someone's looking at your comp every quarter. And so when you're in that nonlinear career path and you're taking on bigger responsibilities, um, there's someone who has their eye on on you at least once a quarter. And You don't necessarily have to have quarterly comp reviews, but I'm just saying frequent check-ins, like setting goals, setting progress, and not waiting a whole year, uh, most things um, Quarterly is a nice pace for things like that where three months is enough time for something to show up and something to make a difference. And and so it just gives the leader who's reviewing compensation for us when we're doing those quarterly check-ins to just look. And, and for me to coach that leader through, is anyone's roles changed um, in the past? And because things do change often, they don't have to wait a whole year, right? And think about it and keep track of it. it it's quarterly pace. And what we found is it makes the cycle Faster rather than slower. Um, And that was a pleasant surprise for us.
0: Kara, obviously, on a lot of people's minds these days, investors listening to this podcast, inflation. I'm assuming that uh, if the value of a dollar is cheapening and prices are going up, whether it's the gas pump or carton of milk, I'm assuming comp reviews that occur quarterly as opposed to, I don't know, every other year feel more relevant right now. Am
1: I right? Yes. And I would say what I like about it is I can help a leader say not yet to someone and they only have to wait three months for us to revisit. So that's one thing I really like about it um, rather than waiting ne- not this year. Right. So we have a little time to adjust and, and Lee likes to talk about more frequent rewards are helpful too, like a small amount here, maybe a bonus here or a raise then or something like that. And you're right the macro market, um, you know, when I answer this question for employees, I talk about cost of living versus cost of labor. They move in the same direction, but they're not one in the same. Um, and and so we have these conversations often. But for me, because we have these quarterly conversations, they're they're quicker, right? You don't have to have it, and you remember that you had it three months ago. You don't have to wait, rehash everything you said a year ago, and go look it up and forget about it. But mm. absolutely, the external market uh, makes a big difference right now. But for us. Um, we did, you know, it helps us to think about cost of labor versus cost of living is a, is a little bit different.
0: A few years ago, you all helped oversaw. I think this was my brother Tom's um, dream idea and you helped put it into play and it was asked for a raise day. And I think we made some waves, maybe got written up here or there for what had happened. Uh, Lee or Kara, could you briefly summarize what happened then, uh, what we've learned and whether we might ever do that again?
1: Yes, Ask a Raise Day was in 2018, uh, and this was your brother Tom's idea. And it really what spent a lot of time of getting people to talk about compensation. We do that. Willie and I talk about this in onboarding a lot, is getting people past that discomfort of just asking um, and having that conversation. Because we think everyone should, because we're the market's changing, your job's changing all the time. Um, and what we learned from that was clearing up a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of things that went left unsaid that um were pretty easy fixes um and again everybody because tom had this plan where you got two hundred dollars just for asking right so just for asking you literally got you got paid yeah and and so it was so funny so many of the conversations i had were the person saying i would never ask i never want to feel ungrateful right um And so they did because of the $200. And the other piece I said to managers, because we got, you know, not every manager liked this, because they had to be pushed to ask their manager. And it's uncomfortable. uh, But every manager in life is going to be put in an uncomfortable situation to be some. But usually that person's upset already. They've got another offer. You've got to, like, break down walls to fix it. Why not have that conversation now when the stakes mm. are low, right? Um, so it, the stakes were way lower than when they typically happen out in the world if someone's getting ready to leave and their counteroffers. counter offers. Um, and so I think that by lowering the stakes, we learned so much. And then we, we spent, I would say, the last four years kind of really um, standardizing the way we talk about compensation a lot. We bought some new technical systems into place. Um, we moved to that quarterly. So because sometimes I would talk to them and they'd be like, no one's talked to me about my compensation in two years or something. Uh, hmm. Or or they were afraid to talk about it and things would happen they wouldn't ask. And so what we found is just clearing up some uh, – by pushing people to having a slightly uncomfortable talk, Yeah, we saved ourselves from future really
0: uncomfortable talks. Well, I think some of the stereotypes are that men ask more frequently than women for raises or extroverts Lee ask more frequently than introverts. Do we find that those stereotypes kind of played out?
2: in general we did consider that when we rolled this out we wanted to help any person who might be nervous about that conversation and if you look at all the things that we're talking about we're trying to create more touch points so coaches checking in great manager one-on-ones getting you to openly talk about comp too often in the world people in their jobs tend to sort of stew on things they start to assume that Things that aren't happening are signals. I didn't get that role. Mm. I didn't get a raise. Let me just go start looking or I'm not getting the advancement that i want. I'm not making progress. They just sort of sit quietly for 18 months and all of a sudden they come in and resign. Well, at the Motley Fool, In that 18 months, we hope we've had probably six different times that we've checked in with you and asked you how things going. What can we do to help you? Everything's on the table. Let's talk about it. And so we we try to get to those conversations just like Kara's describing before they become a problem. And then we try to help people navigate out and away from them. I mean, the chances that we have everyone's compensation at the company correct all the time is zero, right? And so if you know that going in, of course you should ask. And sometimes we'll make a mistake. Sometimes you won't like the answer we give you. Like, actually, no, you're overpaid. Right. But, th- but at least we have that conversation and you understand the rationale behind it and that there's not some sort of secret world where Kara's secretly trying to, like, keep your comp down or something. Right. There's nothing nefarious in what we're doing. We're people just like you trying to do the best job we can. And let's talk about it.
0: It's often said that marriages fail most of all because of a lack of communication. If you think of yourself as, well, at least we're trying to marry you. We're saying job for life, we say, even to our first-day employees. So, yeah, communication seems awfully important. Well, let's keep moving, Lee, on to company culture tip number nine.
2: Okay, number nine is a culture of transparency. And this is a bonus because this is going to be a tip, I think, if you're running a company or if you're on the inside or if you're an individual looking at progress and growth. And so something incredible that we have at the company is this culture of transparency around our financials. Right. And so if you work at the Motley Fool, we try to do a really strong job of telling you exactly how the business is going, what our metrics are, uh, what our new initiatives are, what the latest business strategy is. And so there's a lot of really good things out of that. But one of them is as people are looking to do side of desk projects or make a career change or progress, we want them going in the direction of the company strategy. Right. So. side of desk projects that are sort of left untethered is a, is a word that Kara and I like, can uh. be running off in the wrong direction. That's not going to be great for the company. And hey, by the way, that's not going to be great for you and your career individually. So as a company, if you're transparent with business strategy and financials, then it will help individuals ensure that the work that they're doing, the progress they're making, the growth they're trying to make in their career will be in the direction that we want as a company towards our business strategy. So in that scenario, the business will win and individuals will win.
0: Lee and or Kara, each of you worked at least one other place before The Motley Fool. Um, We prize transparency, always have at The Fool. And again, both internally for our own business, but of course externally Uh, I tend and always have tended to favor companies that are transparent themselves when I'm looking at their financials or thinking about whether I'd want to be an investor uh, in that business for a long period of time. So transparency has always been a capital T word for us at The Motley Fool. But I have to admit, we're kind of the only company I've ever worked for. So how unusual is that based on your past experiences?
2: I mean, I can start. I worked for Bank of America before coming here for, I don't know, seven plus years. and. Uh, I won't pick on Bank of America, but I'll say in general, I think it's more rare because people underestimate how much employees can understand, retain uh, value, and want to know how the company is doing. So Mm. I think it can be sort of easy for senior executives to sit back and be like, well, these financials, this is complicated. But we take the time to really dig in and not only provide how the company is doing, but also provide opportunities for education if you don't understand, for instance, what an acronym means or things like that. So, um, I think the whole company is better. If you sort of default to everybody would love to know how things are going and they're all pretty smart here and capable of understanding these metrics. So, you know, at Bank of America, I think we probably could have done a better job of helping frontline employees um, get in and really uh, understand the financials and the business strategy.
1: So building on what Lee said, I would say... Um, I've had other jobs where they give you the basic information. I, too, worked at a bank, a PNC bank. They give you a stock (laughs) price or something. But at The Motley Fool, because we are who we are and our job is to help people understand the complicated financial information, um, we put the effort in. We really make it accessible and understandable and contextualize it. We have such a great comms team that works on that. Uh, So I think for The Fool, we hire people that want to understand it. Because we are the Molly fool, and we have people internally that want to teach, so it's the best of both worlds.:
0: And apparently we're hiring people, specifically <laughs> for our HR people and culture teams <laughs> from big banks who I've felt Lee burned by their past experiences with, <laughs> I don't know, big banks.
2: <laughs> well, I feel like the question was framed negatively so I had to I had to say but you know it's funny I tell I tell young people sometimes young professionals that a big company can be a great first job because they really have um, figured out exactly how to do training and development and really uh, at scale. Mm. So believe me, I learned so much at Bank of America and there's a lot of things that they were doing then that were were pretty incredible and now it's been Twenty some years since I've worked there too. So I'm sure a lot has changed. Although when I go into the branch, it sure looks similar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, speaking of learning, you've been helping us learn a lot. Both of you, thank you this week. And I think we've arrived at company culture tip number 10, the final tip. Kara, have you saved the best for last?
1: Uh, I would say this is one zone that I really love working on and it's not even ours specifically, but I thought it was such good advice that I've been working for years on, on doing this. So I'll go for it. Good enough. Go for it. All right. Number 10 is do what you do best. Um, This is from a classic Gallup question. Um, We've been asking for, I want to say 14 years. I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. Um, And a guy named Marcus Buckingham wrote a whole book on this. Um, that I just read. And he does this wonderful job of saying, doing what you do best, it's every day, it should be about 20%. And he uses this metaphor called the red thread. So you've got your kind of fabric of your day, that's kind of grays and blacks and browns. And then there's this red thread that's following through the things that you really love. And we just taught a class on this. It's the things that get you in flow state. It's the things that you naturally volunteer for and are naturally good at, that's where you're going to see most progress in your career when you're really in that zone. And I think the learning I just had was it doesn't have to be every day. I don't really like formatting PowerPoint bullet points every day. Like, but as long as I'm doing something fun, like coaching or coming up with new ideas, something I really enjoy, that's a lot of satisfaction. So I love that red thread metaphor. And I also will steal another one that I like from there is your career is not a ladder. It's a scavenger hunt for those red threads. So you're thinking, you're being intentional about what were my red threads today? What were the things that I love doing and doing more of that? Because you're going to excel there because you're going to be drawn to it by, and that will be your practice to do better. So I did lift that from elsewhere, but because I've been following that question for like, Fifteen years. Uh, I'm just intrigued by it, um, and I continue to push on it through our coaching programs and our engagement surveys of really understanding that when I go out and coach people. So, uh, right. So I just close with someone else's stuff, but it's really good stuff. We like to learn from the from the world.
0: Absolutely. Do you have an opportunity to do what you do best every day at work, and that is indeed from the Gallup 12, the questions that Gallup has been asking workplaces and people in workplaces for for a long time now. And that one always, has always been a big question for us internally. And I love you pulling the thread, the red thread, through that, that question. Kara, your reputation around The Fool, well, you have s- several. They're all good. One of them is, well, it's your Motley. There's an app for that. Uh, that. That's your way of letting all of us know that you are very actively kind of looking for tools and things that we can use at The Fool. But, Kara, another of your positive reputations around the Fool is that you appreciate, I do too, personality tests of all different kinds. And you're always on the hunt, speaking of scavenger hunts, for another good one that could be useful. And I think most of us recognize that not every personality test, even like Myers Briggs, one of the most popular, they're not always deeply respected by scientists themselves. But I've never cared too much about that because they really give us platforms to have. Conversations around common things—they really are bridges for us to explain who we are to other people and hear back from them. So there's an app for that, but there's also often a personality test in some way, shape, or form for that. And Kara, for strengths, I think of Clifton Strengths.
1: Yeah, that's it. All comes from the same place, uh, and and so I think when I looked at that, it gives you, you're right. Well, a lot of my coaches, they can't really articulate their strengths. So most of us aren't good at it. And so it gives you some language. This scientific thing told me I was great at um, coming up with future ideas or something. And so therefore it gets people a little bit more comfortable articulating them. And so if you don't know what your red threads are, it's a good starting point because there are 34. And so um, Gallup Clifton Strengths is fun. its It's not um, I tell everybody these tests are not magically reading your mind. You are answering questions about yourself, um, and it's t- you're telling a computer what you think about yourself, um, and and so that that but there's something going on there. You're thinking it's your self perception. It's kind of your the decisions you're making, and so I use it a lot as a coaching tool. But it's to me, I've learned over the years, it's a jumping off point. No, no two are the same um, in there.
0: Yep. Well, doing what you do best often you probably are an expert on that yourself. Sometimes we have blind spots or others can let us know, you know, Lee, you really are a better juggler than you realize. Juggling is a great strength for you, Lee. You should juggle more. I don't know if that's true or not. Lee, do you juggle? You know, I
2: did juggle a lot when I was younger. In fact, I owned a unicycle and I used to ride my unicycle and juggle. Yes.
0: What? I I never knew that. I don't think Kara did either. Um, A man of many talents. But um, yeah, Mike Clifton Strengths, Strategic, Futuristic, positivity, Belief, and Responsibility. I'm looking at the report just as we speak. I don't necessarily have that committed to memory. I needed to Google it while we were talking. But yeah, that's a good example of one of the many ways you can try to figure out what are the strengths that you have and then trying, to your point, Kara, trying to do what you do best every day. So a great one to close on. Well, I would love it if we could summarize our 10 tips at close. But before we do that, I just want to mention next week's podcast for Rule Breaker Investing. We will be doing a review of palooza episode. We will be revisiting three past five stock samplers, all of which were picked in the last few years. Which means, if you're already guessing, you're right which means they're down. It's going to be a bloody week next week on Rule Breaker Investing. If you enjoy slow motion train wrecks or if you find yourself wanting to feel a little bit of summer schadenfreude, please listen in next week. Of course, we have fun and we learn from both our winners and our losers. And we'll be talking about some of both next week. All right. Well, then to conclude, we've presented this week 10 more company culture tips It was Lee and then Kara, and I think we should summarize them in that order from number one to number 10. Lee, take us away.
2: Number one was my role. We don't have job titles here.
1: Number two was the nonlinear career path. We are a project culture.
2: Number three was coaching and teaching can provide growth opportunities outside of your role.
1: Number four was be coachable and be coached.
2: Number five, job for life mindset.
1: Number six, find your own metrics.
2: Number seven, side of desk projects are supported and encouraged.
1: Number eight, check in often and frequently on your goals.
2: Number nine, culture of
1: transparency. And number 10, do what you do best every day.
0: And one of the things that you both do best is come on this podcast and present not just your beliefs or our findings, but actually the things that you've put into play for real, for reals in our company over the years, sharing that back out to others hoping that we can make you smarter, happier, and richer, whether as an employee or as an employer. Kara and Lee, thank you so much for joining me once again for Volume 9 of Company Culture Tips. And you know, team, I say, I say number 10, we've talked about this a little bit, I think number 10, which we'll do at the end of this year maybe, should be the greatest hits. We've now done nine of these, and each time I think I've asked you to bring 10, which you have, so if my math is correct... I believe that you have presented something like 90 (laughs) different culture tips over the course of these last seven years. So I think we deserve ourselves a greatest hit podcast. So I think volume 10 is going to be whichever are the 10 most important that you want to share maybe toward the end of this year. Are you both willing to come back for a 10th?
2: Absolutely. Now, remember, yes. David, you told us we only ever had to have one good one to make it successful. So out of 90, <laughs> there's got to be one good one in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, we always hope each of these podcasts, this being the ninth, at least one good one here appeared <laughs> sometime during that hour or so. And I think, I hope we did it once again uh, this week. I will mention, I'd probably love to have you both back at the end of this month when we get some good feedback, some mailbag questions. And again, I hope some tips. Uh, Because how many great workplaces can we learn from? The answer is infinite number of great other workplaces. And so I'm hoping we'll have some new ideas that we can share and discuss together at the end of this month. In the meantime, for Kara Chambers and for Lee Burbage, Kara, Lee, thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thank you most of all for suffering fools gladly this week. A delight. We hope you have a great week. Fool on.
1: As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.